Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Welcome to the show, everyone. Trevor, how you doing tonight? Hockey, 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 <laughs> hockey's back. It is. First games is. of the season or first game of the season. They're kind of first one's done. Second one's in progress. Last I checked, Connor Bertard is a dud. He has no points yet. No goals, bust. no assists. That may have changed. That may have changed. What a bust. Can't believe they wasted a first <laughs> or no first overall pick on that loser, but <laughs> <laughs> No, it, oh, all kidding yeah. aside, that uh, that poor kid's got some lofty expectations being tossed around for him, that's for sure. Well, you and I were just talking off air a little bit about Connor Bedard, and you know, you're you're not convinced that he's gonna have this huge season. We were joking about, you know, Cerebelli saying maybe a hundred point player this year. I think more realistic is you know 50, 60, 70 and a really good season. Um you were talking a lot less than that. You're you're not as high on Connor no, Bedard, I, but I I say I say he doesn't I, crack twenty. Twenty goals. Twenty goals. And what makes about. you say that? What makes you say that? Well, the level of competition he's going to be playing. He's not playing against 16, 17 year olds who are getting their first big taste of playing in front of a crowd may or may not see the light of day in the NHL, let alone the AHL. It's a lot different. A lot of the guys in the NHL, the majority of them, have been playing it and doing it for a very long time. And Connor Bedard is probably the smallest 5'10", 185 I've ever seen. Um, and I think that's going to be a bit of a detriment to him. Like, Oh, I've seen the highlights. I didn't watch a lot of the games that he played in, but the highlights were sure he's dangling, he's moving, he's dancing with the puck. And the defense let him, and he, he can't get to the net for a great shot. He gets a weak backhand off or uh, an easy save for the keeper. I, I just I don't know that he's going to be able to dominate the the competition like he did in the CHL. It's a lot different game, and it's not – I'm not doing this to take away from his talent. What he did was incredible. 
but this is not the next step. This is like 10 steps up in the level of competition he's going to be facing. That's going to make it tough for him, right? Like these guys in the NHL have all seen this type level of player, right? Like McDavid, Crosby, Ovechkin, Austin Matthews, Elias Pedersen, you know, Kachuk, Gujo. They, 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 well, Elias telling. Pedersen. That's right. Hey, I haven't threw two uh, former Flames in there, no current Flames, but, you know, they've all seen these types of players. Honor Bedard is not surprising anybody with what he can do, right? I think it's a lot different. So we're going to be a lot more physical for him. And the openings aren't going to be there for him. Like, it's not going to be wide open ice. He's not going to be able to just turn it on and blow by every defender trying to get back to cover him. It's going to be a lot tougher for him. And again, it's not to take away. I just, I'm not about to throw an 18 year old to the wolves and who's expected to save a, a horrendous, horribly shitty franchise in the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, so no, I, I try to be realistic as to what you to expect. I mean, I, he could get 60 points, but it's not going to be 30, 30 or 40, 20. It's, it could be. 2040, but he's also playing with Felino, who gets hurt. Taylor Hall is Taylor Hall. Uh, like, it, there's a reason Taylor Hall's on his 15th team since being drafted first overall, right? Like, <laughs> name another first overall pick who's played on as many teams as Taylor Hall. I don't think you can find one. So, I mean, he's given Nail Yakupov a run for his money on teams played for, so, and that's saying a lot. I, I think the skills all there. It's can he translate his skill to the NHL and pick up that learning curve fast enough. There's no doubt the skill is there. There's no doubt he's going to figure it out. He will be a hundred point player at some point in his career, for sure. He's too good not to, but for this year alone, I just, there it's, it's a big jump. Like you just mentioned from junior hockey to the NHL, the quality of the play is that much better. It's, you know, the players are smarter, the players are faster, the players are bigger. I'm interested to see how his game, you know, right off the bat kind of fits with the NHL, but he's definitely going to have to evolve his yeah, his it, game to some extent. But the skill is there. Like he's oh, yeah. exciting player. I am I am, you know, I would love to do the first game in Calgary when he shows up. That would be awesome. It's he's still gonna sell out buildings, he's still electrified. But his game probably doesn't translate to superstardom yet. No, and and that's they're they're still calling him a generational player, a McDavid, a, a Matthews, a Crosby. Crosby is the last rookie to have scored a hundred points. Now let's also not forget that yes, Pittsburgh was a horrible team at that time, just like Chicago was a horrible team and franchise overall. But Pittsburgh loaded up with veterans who could also score and protect. Crosby from the mistakes and the size and things like that. Crosby had Lemieux. Crosby had Garen. Crosby had yeah. Le- Recky, Leclerc. Like they they isolated him so much that he couldn't fail. It was it would have been extremely tough for Crosby to fail in that situation because and the reason he got 100 points is because he was playing with future Hall of Famers who probably could put up 80 90 points on their own without him. Right. Like 
that's the difference between why Crosby was the last and no one's done it. Ovechkin did it too. Ovechkin did it in the same season. Okay. So Ovi and Crosby, but you think about how long ago that was. Yeah, exactly. We're we're talking what? Oh five or something like that. We're going that far back. It's damn near. It's damn near been 20 years and no one, no rookie has put up a hundred points. Right. Like it, it just, the level of goaltending, the level of defending is tenfold at, at minimum. On the worst team you're going to play, better than what he's used to. And that's going to be a game changer. Now, one of the reasons I think he will score a fair amount is he's going to be force-fed prime minutes. He's going to get to play 20 to 23 minutes a night on the first line. He's going to get to play first unit power play. He's going to get prime minutes all season long. So just almost by default of being on the ice so much, he's going to get a lot of points, but is I just don't see him getting close to a hundred. I think, you know, 60 is probably realistic. 80 is a really good season in my opinion. And if he beats that good on him, then the hype's real. Yeah. I, I just think he doesn't have the level of talent around him to help him. Right. Like that's, Right, if he's scoring a hundred points, I mean, Carlson did it, and San Jose still lost because they suck. But Chicago's got enough problems still in holes to fill that it, it, I don't see it being an easy ride for for Bedard at all. And that's just, it's like I say, it, it's tough for him. Everyone's expecting him to go out in there and save this franchise, but there's a they're in a big hole. They don't have a lot going for him right now, even with Bedard. Yeah, I would agree with that. But that, that you know, the nice little hockey talk right off the start, perfect segue into you know today's episode. It's night one of the NHL season. It's Calgary Flames and Vancouver Canucks season eve. It's the it's it's Christmas Eve for Ken and I. <laughs> and that it is. We're going to do yeah, we're we're going to do our season preview. For our two beloved teams, the Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames, it's you know our opportunity. We were going to do this recording roughly one to two weeks ago, and I told you at that time I said, "Nope, too much could still happen on the Calgary Flames front prior to the season kicking off." That I wasn't ready to record that early. Well, we're the night before. I don't think anything else is going to happen, so I think we're safe, Ken, to do our. We'll, we'll see preview shows for the Calgary Flames and the Canucks. Well, maybe for you, but there's uh, we'll we'll get into that when we talk to Canucks. But uh, there still could be changes of a plenty in Vancouver, though, when it comes to the roster and the makeup. Uh, no, are you kidding me? This week, just there's a uh, the the topics we would cover in there, I and mean, obviously the Jays would be one. That's uh, about a ninety. 120 minute are you kidding me conversation right there alone we never get to our preview of the uh canucks and flames but uh and, and other things the nhl just getting in their own way again but uh we're gonna skip that for for this episode and like trevor said we're we're just gonna talk hockey um and that's it's gonna be our two favorite teams we, we do this uh when we're not recording anyways trevor but we figured you know it's always fun to actually put it on tape audio i don't know what the hell you would call it and then put it out there it's not tape. 
put it on the digital. Yeah. Put it on the digital. Good, good way to put it. So, Ken, why don't why don't we start with your Vancouver Canucks? You know, give us a little kind of off-season shakedown, and then you know, right into your expectations, what what you think is the, the pros, the cons, and and you know, what are the Vancouver Canucks in 2023-2024? Yeah, well, this this was a team that finished sixth in the Pacific Division last year. Uh 83 points, they 38, 37, and seven. Um only finished 10 points behind your flames because the flames had 10 more OT losses than the Canucks did. But uh, a, a lot needed to get fixed over this off season. Uh, they had the 30th ranked penalty, penalty kill two years ago. Last year, they were 32nd. Um, they, going into the season last year, you had the issues with, was Bruce going to be the guy going after the season uh, for coach? Uh, oh, Horvat question marks, and that all kind of got answered last year and went into this offseason with what seemed to be a little more certainty in, in and around the mainstays of the roster. Obviously, when you have the 32nd ranked power or penalty kill, uh, changes are needed, and the big ones were changes needed to happen was on defense and leave me to your bottom six that uh as a as a flames fan i drink too trevor it's all right um they uh they needed to bring in some some more depth at center in the bottom six they needed to kind of shore some things up all throughout the lineup um this offseason the, the canucks brought in uh teddy bluger by Suter. Just very recently, Sam Lafferty. Uh, they brought in Philip Peronic last season, which I thought was a great pickup. Uh, he would have been, I, I suggested uh, Horvat going to Detroit and Ronick being a, a big piece of the return. Well, he went, Horvat went to the island and well, we still flipped a pick from the Islanders to the to Detroit for that piece. So I'm taking a half a check mark on that one. Uh, they brought in Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, and, and some other pieces for the defense this off season. Um, and the, the big thing with a lot of their players that they brought in, their big thing is, is they are penalty killers. It was just awesome because that's, that's where you suck the most. Like there's no other way to put it. There's no sugarcoating it. The Canucks power play was dog shit, just absolute dog shit the entire season. And penalty I think Sorry, penalty kill. Penalty kill, yes. Their power play wasn't horrible, but their penalty kill was. Um, Susie Cole bring that penalty killing uh, part to the game. Teddy Bluger, even Sam Lafferty. That piece significantly upgraded while adding depth to your center uh, center roles and helping that out. You, you have a clear-cut... Um, third line center, fourth line center, and you have guys that can play both Bluger and Suter play left wing as well. Um, I thought the off season, it wasn't flashy, but I do like what they did. I think they brought in the right pieces to do it. Um, guys made the NHL roster out that may not have been there before. And 
guys that were there last year and kind of was no real competition. They they went down to the minors. Neil Zaman is starting down in the minors. Pod Colson looked like he was going to, but he actually picked it back up and got brought back up at the end of camp. Um, they went out and got Casey DeSmith, DeSmith from Montreal for Tanner Pearson freeing up some cap space. That was a big thing for the Canucks this year. They were in a lot of trouble with the cap. Um, Tucker Pullman, his, I think, final year of his deal. Sorry, two more years on that deal. He's going to ride it out on LTIR. Uh, Ilya Mikhaev is still on the mend from that offseason surgery. One of the big moves, you want to call it flashy, was uh, OEL, Oliver Ekman Larson being bought out. Now, the, the cap hit is going to run for some years, but with the cap going up potentially, when we're looking at six, seven million in this ne- next year, it's not as big a hit as it could be, but they needed to get rid of that like eight million dollars. It, it's, I didn't expect OEL to continue the dive off the cliff when he came from Arizona. That was a guy that kind of thought, a change of scenery might I did. Him well. Well, you did. I, I I was hoping, obviously, as a Canucks fan, I'm hoping that a change of scenery would turn it around for him. Because let's face it, we we've talked at length about Arizona. It's a it's a dumpster fire at best. So they created some cap space by buying him out. Um, I it's not ideal, but do I hate it? No. It, it's freeing it up to get. To bring in other guys, which they did. Casey DeSmith is a true number one or number number two to Thatcher Demko. Hopefully, brings at least for this season a little, a little bit of stability behind him. Uh, Spencer Martin, who's now a Columbus Blue Jacket, was given the keys to be the number two and absolutely blew it last year. And Colin Delia is now in a Winnipeg Jet. So. I like that pickup. It freed up cap space. It it filled a void that was that there was a need. Uh, like I say, it wasn't a flashy offseason, but the the Canucks did what they had to do to kind of fix some holes. And see, I think overall, watching the games, the Canucks played the Oilers with pretty much their top power play unit in that game. And the Canucks killed every penalty. There's been a huge difference outside of that uh, ten nothing uh, NHL Flames roster versus the uh, ECHL Kalamazoo Wings that the Canucks iced that night. They've been really good on the penalty kill from what from the games that, that have been televised and I've watched. So that to me is a big upside for what has happened over the, this offseason. Um, now, just today, this afternoon, it's. Apparently been reported Connor Garland has asked and received permission to seek out a trade. And um, I think it was Satir Shaw who covers the Canucks on Sportsnet 650 kind of said, kind of summed it up by saying, you don't think the Canucks have already tried this and, you know, Godspeed to you because pretty sure the Canucks have gone down this Avenue. So I don't really understand what his big problem is because he's been given an opportunity in Vancouver. And frankly, I think he hasn't 
he hasn't necessarily held up his end of the bargain. I think he hasn't played horribly, but he hasn't he hasn't played well enough. He got paid to play for a lot more than what he's doing, but he hasn't produced. So for him to be looking to be on the move out is kind of a, a little surprising based on everything. But that's a almost five million dollar contract that could be getting moved out. As if I mean, if the Canucks weren't already trying, but we'll we'll see what happens on that front. But I, I am definitely of the sort where if you don't want to be here, uh, don't let the door hit you in the ass on your way out. So I, I think the Canucks are going to be a lot better team this year. Um, by no means do I think they're going to take the division, but they will be a team, I think, in my opinion, that is going to compete a lot more and push for a playoff position. Okay, Ken. <clears throat> What's your what's your biggest reason for optimism with the Vancouver Canucks? And, and tell me, the Vancouver Canucks make the playoffs this year because? Well, I can't say that healthy is a is a thing right now because Carson Soucy's week to week, Ilya Mikhaev is is out. He's not quite ready to to start the season. So there's a couple pieces that are missing right now but I think overall there is less the question marks that were there last year going into it right from training camp where Rutherford was calling out the camp and everything was that um Bruce Boudreaux was doing is not there the Horvat question isn't there you know everyone can can talk about Elias Pettersson's expiring RFA deal but he's still going to be a Canuck at the end of the day they still have, you know, I hate to say it. You know, Hang on. I saw I thought the same thing about Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Don't say for sure. <laughs> well, the Canucks, so Elliot Friedman, who I, I do trust as a source and prefer to get my information from Elliot, tried to throw some blood in the water today for the fans in Vancouver, air quoted that, who just love the drama and saying that the Canucks aren't, you know, potentially – they're, they're thinking about their commitment level to Elias Patterson. Well, which was quickly negated by Rick Dollywall, who is a local uh, sports uh, show guy in Vancouver, who is usually right with what he says. Uh, he said that the Canucks, you know, from his sources that he's talked to are 150% committed to Elias Patterson. And I, I don't blame Patterson for not signing a deal right now because he got a hundred over a hundred points last season. He goes in and signs a deal based off of that. It could be 10 million just for a number. If he goes out and scores 130 points this season, well, that number's now Rasmus Dahlin level at maybe 11, 11 and a half. Just like he's banking on having another good year and using that going into the conversation. We'll see how it goes. I'm sure, you know, if you're, Patrick Alvine and, and Jim Rutherford, you want Elias Pettersson on your team. Overall optimism of why I think they're going to do better is they address the needs that they needed to. They brought in their, their defense is already better than last year, which to be fair, wasn't hard, but they brought in the pieces. I You're cringing and making a face there, but they, the pieces they had last year weren't great. And they've brought in, more stability in there you've got three good pairings that go out there and do their job they're they they've 
look to be better through the preseason on the penalty kill, and I think that's going to be a big reason. They lost a lot of a lot of games because they couldn't kill a penalty. So if they've improved on that 50%, well, that's, you know, maybe 20 more points because they lost a lot of games because their penalty kill was hot garbage. Okay, what uh, what's your biggest worry about the Vancouver Canucks? What what is going to cause them to miss the playoffs again? I think uh, I think it comes down to a little bit Thatcher Demko's health. If he stays healthy, he could be Vesna caliber type goaltender. If he is hurt, you know he didn't. He came into last season not at one hundred percent. It showed. And then he missed a, a substantial amount of time, and the guys behind him couldn't carry the load. He's got a, a better backup behind him with Casey DeSmith, who has played in the starter role before in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't foresee him being as, you know, he's not as good as Thatcher Demko, but I think it really comes down to a little bit of a, I don't know if make or break is the right way, but Thatcher Demko. If he's healthy, the Canucks could be world beaters. And, and he could steal you 30, 30 points, 30 more points this season based on his on his ability to, to stop a puck. So I think a lot of it comes down to that. Um and the the buy-in. He had a full camp with the new coaches, Talkit, Foot, Gonchar. You you know what they're looking for now. You know, there was a story I read that after the talk at second game against Seattle and they got shellac six, one or six, two, whatever it was. They got around the bus back and got dropped off downtown and he was ready to rage. And Adam foot kind of said, Hey, 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 it's game two. Let's take it easy. But I think having the coaches and everything kind of settled, that's a big thing. So I think a lot does come down to the health of the team and Guys kind of – there's a lot of – there's UFA. Sam Lafferty's a UFA. Teddy Bluger, Beauvillier, um, Tyler Myers. Who knows if he, he's – whether he's going to be around or not. Yeah, Ian Cole. There's going to be guys playing for their next contract as well. So I think guys stepping up and playing. Um, Anthony Beauvillier, full season with – to start the season under the the Canucks and the the program, I think that's going to be be a big thing. Like I don't think he had Boudreaux at all last year, but I mean, like he goes from both the Islanders to the Canucks, the the kind of the shit show that was at that time. And like I say, stability is a big thing. There's less question marks around the Canucks right now than there were last year. There was a lot of distractions. Those, for the most part, are almost completely gone. The only question is, when's PD going to put pen to paper? I want to jump in on a couple of points you made, and both of them around the optimism and pessimism of the Vancouver Canucks. And I actually came up with the same answer for both, and you touched on one of them, Thatcher Demko. If you're a Canucks fan, you're optimistic about making the playoffs because of Thatcher Demko. He appears to be healthy. He's an all-world goalie when he is. If you're a Vancouver Canuck fan, you're scared shitless of missing the playoffs because of Thatcher Demko's health. 
let's face it, if he's not healthy, there is a 0% chance that Edgar Canucks will make the playoffs. So I think there's a ton riding on Thatcher Demko and his health. If he is healthy, he's one of the best goalies in the NHL. And he can, you mentioned it, he can steal victories left, right, and center. But if he's not, that's a big, big void. And, you know, the, look, the Calgary Flames last year when Jacob Markstrom didn't play good. They fell off a cliff. The, you know, Demko was out last year. The Cucks were even close to a playoff spot. You know, they turned it around late like they always seem to and yeah. string together wins when it didn't matter. So who cares if they were 10 points out? They were 20-something points when it mattered. So, you know, there that's to me, the, the, the season revolves around Thatcher Demko. It really does. Another point I want to go to is you talk about the stability of the coaching staff. I'm going to call bullshit on that 100% right off. I've been hearing this. Willie Desjardins was supposed to bring stability. Travis Green brought stability. Bruce Boudreaux brought, brought stability. This isn't stability. This is still the same core that got Boudreaux fired, got Green fired. It's the same core. And here's another thing I'd be worried about as Canuck fans. Your superstars had good seasons last year, minus Demko because he was hurt. Petey put up 100 points. You know, JT Miller was an 80-point guy. Kuzmenko scored 40 goals. And you weren't even close. You realistically have the same core. What's going to – what? tell me why I'm wrong and why it's different this year. And then well, it's more of a talking point than anything. Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on the, the, the coaching stability. I mean, I say that it's – this is talking in this group is Alvin and Rutherford's guy, right? Where the others came in, Willie Desjardins came in and did jack shit with this team. Travis Green was all right for a bit, but he could never get the group of players he had over the hump. He was a great AHL coach because he could develop. He couldn't push him over the hump. Boudreaux's Boudreaux is a 600 win coach in the NHL. But the problem was he was ownership's guy who was hired after they fired Benning and before they brought in Rutherford and Alvin would have Boudreaux been hired if they went with Rutherford and Alvin first, probably not. So that's where I say stability is in this is the management's choice of coaching staff. So that's where I say stability. You're not wondering if talk, it's not on a one year deal with that was a, a coach and team option. They both had to buy in and say, yeah, like he's under contract for what he did last year and the next two years, you know, and unless this team goes 0 and 82, he's probably, he's going to be back next season. Right. And potentially if they do well, he's going to be there for a while. That's the stability part of it there. Now the core, you said it's the same core. Well, Miller, Pedersen and Hughes, Demko, sure. Like that's the same. Horvat's gone. Edler was part of that core. He's gone. Um, you know, you look at it, Kuzmenko's new, Garland is new-ish, but probably going. Bavillier, he's on an expiring contract. That's a new like the players. The reason, like, I think you're right, disagree with you on the core. The core, you're always going to have your four, five guys that you're your your bread and butter. It's what they've done around that that I think that they they haven't done in the past is they actually went out and addressed needs. 
where in previous off seasons, they just kind of tried to pluck a, a fancy piece here and there and go, hey, here you go. But they didn't actually address the needs. Thatcher Demko, I think healthy-wise, um, with Casey DeSmith as a backup, you don't have to play Thatcher as much as you may have with Spencer Martin and Colin Delia as the backups because those two were unproven. Got Spencer Martin got a two-year deal because he got hot in the year previous to that and then was given the keys to the backup role and flushed him down the toilet like a toddler would. Colin Delia came out of nowhere as third guy because Martin was shit in the bed and Demko was hurt and played well enough. I say, so I think you don't need to ride Demko as much as you previously have had to because you've got a legitimate backup. So I think I, I, I disagree with the, the core part of it because they, yes, Miller, Pedersen, you could even throw Besser in there. Who knows what's going to happen with him? And Hughes and Demko. Yeah, that's there. But that, that's the core core. When you start going around in the circles of the levels of the next pieces of the pie, it's a lot, it's very different. And the pieces fit together a lot better than they have in the past. Possibly. I I, I do somewhat agree with you. You talked about the defense being better. I, I agree with you. I do think it's better. Um, Ronick, I jury's still out on you know for me with him a little bit. I think he's <clears throat> he's a good addition. Is he a top pairing defender? I don't know that he is. He might be playing a little higher in the lineup than he's accustomed to. Now, to be fair, he gets to most likely play with Quinn Hughes, and that's you know a treat in itself. And but that, I don't and, know that they're uh, going to do that much. They might do it, and, a and we'll bit. see. They talked about it. Ronick and Hughes didn't spend the entire preseason together. I think they want to keep them separate for as much as they can. Ronick's a second pairing guy. And then you get someone else with Hughes, which could be a Cole or Susie, potentially one of those guys. But yeah, like, and if you got to play them together, well, that's, a, I think he came from Detroit, which Detroit was a pretty bad team for most of his tenure there. And that's so, why I'm saying the jury's still out on him a little bit. Like yeah. he was, was he a good player on a bad team? And by default, he looked good or is he a good player? I don't know yet. I, I think he's definitely an upgrade, but I, I, you know, getting top two, top four minutes, we'll see. You know, you still got a decor that features Tyler Myers, who's horrific. Hopefully for how long? And I think, yeah, I think you would agree with me. Tyler Myers is not a top four defender. No, and he's going to get to play. He's going to get to play top four minutes. Uh, Susie, well, Susie's hurt for two, three, four weeks. We don't like. He's out. Absolutely. Absolutely dirty, atrocious play against the Flames. Well, yeah. No. So? <laughs> and Do it your wasn't, job. Take it yeah. out the competition. It, it know, wasn't, but... I, I think you'll hurt. See, like, yeah. you're, you're right now potentially rolling a third pairing of, you know, Noah Juleson and Brisbois. Like, yeah. I, I don't... That's, I, that's not... Um, I think you're going to see... I think you're going to see Hughes Cole... For the fact that Cole's going to play a little bit more of the defensive side and let Hughes, for like for a better, you know, for a term, he's going to let Hughes cook. He's going to let him be Quinn Hughes. He, I think Ian Cole could be the Tanev to Hughes in that kind of, you know, Tanev played the defensive side, Hughes did the offense. I, I would go Hughes, Cole, Ronick, 
potentially went healthy, Susie. And then you'd have Myers and a Breezebaugh or Juleson. But, or Myers as your seven on the bench. <laughs> or, or that. The thing with Myers is now he's a lot. He's a six million cap hit. But if you take him on, you're only paying him a million bucks. Right? Real cash, he's a million dollars. So for a team that potentially has cap space and needs something, you could get rid of him because the team doesn't actually have to pay him that amount of money. There was rumored to be deals all summer long that all hinged on the Carlson trade, but with Myers going to San Jose was kind of the the trade, but they traded out eleven million for nine and a half or ten and a half, whatever the hell it was. So it wasn't that good of a deal for them. I don't know. I think I think you can the Canucks three defensive pairings are going to look a lot different and a lot better than they did last year. There's also still the rumors out there that the, the Canucks have interest in bringing Ethan Bear back and Ethan Bear wants to come back once he's healthy. To me, you bring him back, that's an upgrade over Breezebaugh, uh, Juleson. Now, they also played well last year too when they got the opportunity. Um, can they do it again? I don't know. But Ethan Bear to me is an upgrade on them and Tyler Myers. So if you do sign bear back when he's healthy and you can trade Myers. Well, you're ahead of the game. So there's still potential for that move to upgrade the defense as well. Cause I like Ethan bear with the Canucks. Yeah. I think he also played well with Quinn Hughes. That gives you someone a little bit younger, maybe a little bit faster than Ian Cole. Um, there there's opportunities there. I think in that it's possibilities. I, I, by no means am I going in there saying the Canucks are going to finish top two in the division and, you know, third in the Western conference or whatever, and be world beaters. But I think they're going to be a lot more competitive team this year. Well, that, that segues perfectly into what I was just going to ask. What are realistic expectations for the Vancouver Canucks? So let's go. What a realistic ceiling and a realistic floor. What are those? You know, you say yours, and then I'll say what mine. I, I think the on the high end ceiling, I think the Canucks could push for, say, the the first wild card position, and you know, just outside of the top three, um, you know, that would put them fourth in the Pacific. You know, can they can they push? Can they be close to the top three teams in the division? Who, you know, I think it's going to be Vegas, Seattle, and and. Uh, and then Edmonton, can they can they push them? That's could be kind of lofty, you know. If Seattle can can turn it around again, or not turn it around, keep it going how they did last season. That was a bit of a surprise, but they surprised a lot of people coming from where they were. I think I think realistically they're gonna be on a high end, they're, they're gonna be in a playoff position. I think wild card, you know, I think they can push for the first wild card, but you know, even if second, if they get in. I don't want to say that just get in and see what happens, but I think, I think the season, you know, they played the Oilers when the Oilers had their pretty much their NHL roster going in the first preseason game and the Canucks lost the game in overtime, but they hung right with them with a non NHL lineup. They had some of their guys in there, but not everyone. I thought that was uh, promising when you looked at the, the disparity in the lineups I, again, I bottom end, 
sixth again because they're not going to fall lower than Anaheim and San Jose. Like so, those two teams have got the basement doors locked and boarded up. They're not letting anyone in. So, I mean, yeah, real on a, on a low end, they they fall sixth again and they're not into it. I and mean, I think that's because key pieces get injured and they kind of maybe lose their identity and have an oh shit, what do we do moment for way too long. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of piggyback off a lot of what you just said. I think on the high end, the Canucks. I think they can finish third in this division. A lot would have to go right though. Yeah, you'd have to have you'd have to have Thatcher Demko play a full season, play Vesna caliber goaltending. Your penalty killing would have to be top ten, not dead last. Your power play would have to maintain. I think last year you're 22 percent, eleventh in the league. I think you'd have to have a top ten power play, maybe even top five. Because I'm, I'm still not convinced of your decor, and I, I think the Canucks are still going to bleed uh, grade A scoring chances, which they've been known for. Um, but again, that goes back to the Demko conversation. I think they can push for third in the division. Realistically, I think they're fighting for seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, right there, most likely with my Calgary Flames. They're going to be. There, there's a hodgepodge of, I'm going to just say, average teams in the Western Conference. And I think Vancouver and my Calgary Flames are in that group. I thought, um, you, meant, I thought you meant division for a second there. Like you asked, then you realized you were talking conference. <laughs> no, no. I they, yeah. I don't see how any of anybody can be worse than Anaheim <laughs> and San Jose. But I, I do think Vancouver could be the, the closest to them. And here's why I think on the bottom end of things, why I could bottom up for them, and I kind of already alluded to it. This essentially is the same team as it has been for the last four or five years. You're talking Pedersen, Gasser, you know, JT Miller's now in his third or fourth year, Quinn Hughes. It's essentially the same team, especially from the last two years. That team has yet to prove to me that they can win hockey games when it matters. When it matters most in the first 50, 60 games of the season, they're a 400 hockey club. And then when it doesn't matter, they're a 600, 650 hockey club. And I'm not telling you anything that's not yeah. true. No, they, no, no. they can't win games when it matters. So prove it to me. Prove it to me that Rick Tockett makes a difference because I frankly don't think he does because I was told Bruce Boudreaux made a difference. Well, he didn't. And that was after you guys had a killer finish to the season two years ago, played 100-point hockey, and then it went off the rails. And so I just – this core has not proven it to me that they can actually win games when it matters and when it's the hardest. It's easy to win when you're not playing to any expectations. Once there's prove it, you can win when there's expectations. Yeah, and I'll I'll always defend Bruce Boudreaux because I don't think that was any of his fault, honestly. I don't think it was either. And I, th- I think because you look at what he did and how badly it fell off the rails last season, that falls 100% in Jim Rutherford's feet. He caused that. He caused the doubt. He caused every little bit of uncertainty, every little, you know, question in the back of the player's head. Is Bruce going to be here tomorrow? Is he like 
I, I will defend Bruce Boudreaux on that because he came in early enough in the season that if they had made the change when I figured they should have after about 20 games and with Travis Green, they would have made the playoffs because Bruce Boudreaux had him playing at that type of pace. They did it too late. They fell short. And then Jim Rutherford comes in and like a pigeon playing chess just shits all over the board. It, it just... Yeah, I will defend Bruce Rujo 100% all the time on that one. I don't think that had anything to do with his coaching style and his ability. I think that had everything to do with management meddling. But yeah, I think they, they got to win. Not, the not games gonna the yeah. And I agree. They got to win the games in the beginning. You said there was about Boudreau either. Yeah. 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 So win the games in the beginning of the season and, and carry it on. Okay, well, let's shift gears. I'm tired of talking about the Vancouver Canucks. I think consensus is they might make the playoffs. They might make the playoffs. They're in the battle. They're they're an average team lumped in with a bunch of other average teams. I think that's a pretty fair assessment of of the Vancouver Canucks. With you know, they got a, a big wild card in Thatcher Demko. They they really do. Let's switch gears to the Calgary Flames and. I'll kind of, I'll, I'll, you know, they're my team. I'll kind of give the the breakdown of what I think and you know, what's happened. And then we'll kind of, you know, I'll let you counterpoint my points. 2022-2023 didn't happen. That's just my take on the Calgary Flames. It was a absolute, I can't put it any nicer than this, shit show of a season. There was new players came in with ridiculous expectations you know, Kadri, Huberto, Uyghur, everybody thought that we were just going to continue on from the 2021-22 Flames that, you know, ran away with the Pacific Division in the regular season and then got ousted in the second round. Everybody just thought there was just going to be this seamless transition, good players out, good players in. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. There was, as everybody's well aware, a black cloud over the Calgary Flames known as Daryl Sutter, and there was also a lot of tension between Daryl Sutter, Brad Tree Living. Well, that's all gone. That's gone. So let's just 2022-2023 didn't happen. Let's pretend. This is a whole new fresh outlook. Now, heading into the offseason, it started off very uncertain. Who's going to be coach? Who's going to be GM? Every player wants out. So everybody's gone. Everybody's going to be traded. Weird thing. The Flames only made one significant trade all offseason. They only made one significant move. Now, whether that's for good for the bad, I don't know yet. Time will still tell on that one, but they, they only made one significant move. Tyler's fully out, leading scorer, Sharon Govich in. To me, I don't want to say a wash, but I think you got relatively similar style players, but Sharon Govich has a lot to prove. He's also a lot younger and a lot faster. The main difference is what happened in the front office and behind the bench. They essentially cleaned house. You know, True Living walked away. Craig Conroy, assistant GM, you know, comes in. True Living gets gassed. Ryan Huska comes in. Two, team, two guys already with the franchise. But they changed the culture. And that's that's the critical thing. And you you can hear it from every insider saying it it's different. It's different. Huberto seems re-energized. Kadri seems like in a better mood. Everybody just seems like they're in a better mood. Everybody who 
was leaving Michael Backlund. Well, lo and behold, Michael Backlund signed a contract extension and is now the captain of the Flames. So Noah Hannafin was for sure gone. Well, now there's talk that Noah Hannafin is interested in resigning. Elias Lindholm. So there's still a lot of question marks, but it's not question marks with this big funnel cloud overhead. It's question marks with some sunlight seeping through it, if that makes sense. There, there actually might be an opportunity for some of these guys who didn't want to be here to stay. So where does that leave the team right now? I don't know, Ken. I don't know where that leaves the Calgary Flames because there's a lot of ifs, there's a lot of ands, and there's a lot of buts that need to go right. To me, there's two very critical pieces that need to go right for the Calgary Flames this year, and that is Jacob Markstrom. Bouncing back. Go figure. Same as your team. We need our all-star goaltender to be an all-star goaltender. And if they do, great. We have a shot. Here's something that the Calgary Flames need that the Vancouver Canucks didn't. Their superstar player to be a superstar. Jonathan Huberto has to become a superstar again. He doesn't have to be a 100-point guy. I don't believe he has to put up 102 points. Jonathan Huberto has to be an 80 90-point guy to be considered to be a success. I don't think you're ever going to get that 115-point guy again. That was a stacked Florida team that he was playing with. I don't think you'll ever see Huberto do that again. Huberto, Markstrom, two biggest stories of the Calgary Flames season, followed closely by Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri at the start of last year was phenomenal. His first 20, 30 games, he was amazing. I remember tweeting, Xing, whatever the hell you want to call it, 20 games into his tenure, and I was just like, I can't believe how good this guy is. Wow, that went off the rails very quickly. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that had to do with Daryl Sutter. I really am. I think there was such a rift there and such tension that Kadri just give a crap meter went from from 100 to zero and stayed at zero, maybe plateaued at 20 at points throughout the season. Again, that cloud's gone. So I want to believe that Kadri is going to be better this year. You mentioned it with, with, with the Canucks. They have a lot of players playing for contracts. So are the Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames have a lot more high-end players playing for contracts. When you're talking about Elias Lindholm and no Noah Hannafin, those are those are top end pieces that are playing for contracts. That's a positive and a negative, in my viewpoint. Are they playing for contracts to get the hell out of Calgary? Well, for this year only, that's a good thing for the Flames. Not moving on, it's not. So you know, there's there might be that motivation. I think another benefit of the Flames this year to last year is there is a bit of a youth movement. There's going to be some youthful exuberance on our fourth line. You're not going to have Milan Lucic and Trevor Lewis and, you know, Brett Ritchie and, uh, you know, the Ritchie brothers eating up minutes on your fourth line, you know, not overly contributing. You're going to have guys trying to make a difference. You're going to have Walker Dewar who, in you know 30 games last year was you know he had uh, 10 goals or something like that he was he played a role you got you know Adam Ruzic guy another young guy looking to make a difference 
I feel like there's going to be some youthful exuberance that is really going to benefit some of the older, the older guys, Huberto, Lindholm. It's going to kick them in the butt a little bit. Another guy who has a significant turnaround. Turned out he was playing all of last year with a bum shoulder. And he played through immense amount of pains. He got super sick after having surgery. I got to believe Adjumanji Apani is going to bounce back a little bit. Michael Backlund is happy to be here. He's the captain. We, we have a true voice now. Michael Backlund is the voice. Daryl Sutter was the one who didn't want a captain. He's gone. The team now has a voice. How much is that going to have an impact? It, it very much, it very much could. Unfortunately, Jacob Peltier is hurt. You know, some of the youthful exuberance that was going to be coming into the lineup, you know, in the, in the 30 games he played last year, he brought a lot of pace to his game. He brought a lot of excitement. Unfortunately, he's hurt and out for an extended period of time. That's a big loss. Another big loss is Oliver Shillington. There's still a big unknown. You know, he... He added an element of speed on the Calgary Flames back end that is, you know, he's one of the best skaters in the NHL. You're going to miss that. So there's missing pieces now. The Flames got banged up in the preseason. The Flames aren't as deep as they probably should have been because one of their strengths over the last couple of years is they're supposed to be a deep team. I don't know that they're as deep as... I was expecting them to be, you know, you, you get one significant injury, you know, say Michael Backlund goes down. There's not a lot in the minors to replace him. If Nazem Kadri goes down, you know, the next up is Connor Zary, who's played no NHL games. The flames really are one or two significant injuries and they've already got one or two. They're one or two away from having no organization organizational depth and being in serious trouble. Why I think they can potentially get by that is they have a very solid decor. The Flames on paper have one of the better decors in the entire NHL. It'd be even better with Oliver Shillington. You know, Hannafin and uh, Rasmus Anderson, that's a, that's a solid top pairing. They're not going to be 60, 70 point guys. They're not 100 point guys. They're both 40 point top line defenders. Mackenzie Weger, after his first 30 games, was absolutely outstanding for the Calgary Flames last year. I don't see why that won't continue on. I'm a little worried about Nikita Zadorov. He was kind of a Sutter guy. Sutter got the most out of him. Will we see a drop-off? I'm a little worried about Nikita Zadorov, but he has come a long way the last couple of years. So for now, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm, I'm not convinced on that one. But if Zadorov falls off, Chris Tanev is there to take on more of those minutes. I think Tanev's going to get a little bit of a lesser role this year, rightfully so. You know, got to keep him healthy. Got to, yeah. The guy's a warrior. He blocks way too many shots, whether it be off his shin pads or his face. He'll he'll get right in front of it. But I think you need to limit Tanev's minutes. But that means an elevated role for Zadorov. So there very well could be a flip flop there. One other of my worries about the Calgary Flames is they're going to be a new coach learning period where they don't know the system enough. And, you know, are they going to get off to a slow start as a result? I'm a little bit worried about that. I have faith in Coach Huska. 
the, the players know him. The, everybody knows him. He's, you know, he's familiar in the room, but it, it's different going from an associate or an assistant to a head coach. Is there going to be growing pains there? Is there going to be system learning issues there where they don't buy in? Like there's, to me, there's still a lot of questions on paper. I think the Calgary Flames are actually a good team as long as everything goes right. But if everything doesn't go right, this could go off the rails very quickly and it could be a long season in Calgary. I don't believe it's going to because I think that, you know, the, the tornado above is, is gone, but there are elements that have me significantly worried about this team. So my take on the Flames, and, you know, I said this with on the show we did with John, the season preview one where we didn't go too much in depth with our teams, but to me, and I'm going to circle back to one thing you said about the Canucks in a second is there's still, for me, there's still question marks around this team because a lot of the flames players in their exit interviews. And when the season over pretty much said it's us or Sutter Sutter's back. I want out. And, you know, you could probably throw Kadri's name on that based on Alan Walsh's tweeting. You could possibly throw Huberto into that. Obviously, Lindholm is part of that. You don't know where Coleman sits. Hannafin. Like, there, there is a lot of players that were willing to block, say, trade me, whatever. Well, now they got to show that they are going to produce. That's a lot of pressure. And they better be ready for it because... You know, Huberto, you're, you're paying. You said you don't expect him to be, or you know, that he gets 102 points, 115 points. I would. You're paying him for it. You're paying him ten and a half million dollars for the next eight years, right? So yeah, get me 100 points plus, and that's what I'm paying you to do. Like that. That is the expectation. I think he had what 55 points, 60 points last year. Absolutely horrendous yeah. season, and. and was that more and again like Huberto being in the Panthers before that you only saw highlights things like and, and such but what's the real Huberto you said it the Panthers were stacked and he put up the points is the 55 to say maybe 70 point Huberto what you're now paying 10 and a half million dollars for could have got that cheaper especially you know I'm not a big on the year age 30 they all start falling off a cliff but you're paying him ten and a half million dollars till he's thirty-eight. That's a lot of time. Yep. You damn well better put up over a hundred points when you can in the beginning of this contract to earn those later years, because he hasn't earned shit as a Calgary Flame. He's earned um, Dylan Dubé's two point three million dollars and what he produced last year, right? Like, to to be honest, Huberto, you you want a hundred points. Um, Kadri, you're paying him seven mil, so he better produce as well. Maybe not to 100, 100 points, but he better produce because he was also, I think, one of the probably loudest people that was saying, get me out of here if this is the way it's going to be. I still think the fact that, like, looking at your defense, you have two guys under contract next year, Uyghur and Rasmus Anderson. If they all walk, you have jack shit for defense next year, and you're starting from scratch. So they better stay healthy and you better win this year and you better entice them to re-sign. 
deals that is not as much as I love Chris Tanev. Don't get me wrong. I think he is a great defenseman, and I would still take him on the Canucks. He's not going to be worth four and a half million going forward. He doesn't play 82 games. Nor no. And but I'm saying, like, you got to get these guys under contract, right? And not many of these guys are going to be willing to take lesser deals. So you got to take Tanev at if you want to resign him, probably four million for two years, you know, eight million dollar total contract. I don't think it'll cost that much, but I do. I don't think it'll cost that much to get Chris Tanner back, but he's a guy that if you can get him at a, that, that starts with a three. Yeah, absolutely. If you can get him on a two year, $6 million deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is like, you got, you got a lot of guys in your defense that could no longer be flames. And if you guys are not winning and you guys are out of it, that's a lot of trade chips that you got going bye-bye for probably not much in return. Um, now, you talked about the core with the Canucks. Same kind of thing with the Flames, right? Like, yeah, sure, Huberto, Kadri. A lot of their, your main guys have been there the last few. Like, sure, two years ago, you were a first-place team. But where everything went wrong was still with the main – Dubé underperformed, Mount Gipani underperformed, injury not, whatever. He's never been that guy – he kind of lived up to a lot of that. Everyone was penciling him in for the Canadian Olympic squad and everything else because he had such a good wow, those guys were championships. Nuts. Well, but this is your fan base, right? This is the expectations of them. Um, I, I want to jump Mike in Coleman, on your like, core talk. I want to jump in on that core talk. Here's here's the difference. You, you talk about my core hasn't won anything. This core has won two of the last four division titles. So I don't necessarily buy into that. It's feast or famine with this core. I'll well, buy into that. they got in the there. first round. The guy's yeah. like, I know, I know, but I'm still, we're talking regular season. Yeah. You know, a large core, a large majority of our core have won two division titles. That's why I have some optimism, you know, that it's feast or famine. They either win it all or absolutely shit the bed. Well, but by the Flames cycle, they're in a win it all cycle. They have a, a great year, bad year, a great year, bad year. Well, we're in for a great year. <laughs> the one thing that but your it, team I, is... I'm just trying to say, this core has won. They got... Uh, sure. They, they they made the playoffs the year before, and they got swept by the Oilers. Yep. And, and so they played four extra games, right? Like, that's the... Okay, sure, they make the playoffs, but they tucked tail and got beat by the Oilers and like and then that's not to take a shot it just they didn't win in the playoffs right like they, so they still really no and I'm they they made the playoffs but they didn't win in the playoffs so they don't no I and I'm, think, I'm talking regular season yeah. not playoffs like they've been they were horrible in the playoffs yeah. but at least I'm talking regular season wise this core in the regular season has had some success together now it's a matter of getting Huberto and Kadri up to the level that they were when they had Goudreau and Kachuk, and that's a that's a big jump for what they what they did oh, last is. year, it right? Is. And that it is. that's and that's can they do it? I don't know. Maybe over the course of two three years, they can get back to what they were when they got signed and traded for. But the thing is, like, how many times have you and I talked about? Oh, there seems to be something in the room pre Daryl too, that you know the Geo and Kachuk Goudreau type rift. There's something not right in the room. Well, there's always seems to be something 
in the locker room. And now maybe not this year, but this year, like you said, that, that learning curve of a new, you're coming into preseason training camp is not that long preseason. You're not playing the guys that are on your opening night roster for six games, right? You're, you're looking at the guys on the bubble. You, you play your AHL roster and junior prospects for the first two games. So really you're getting three and a half, maybe games worth of your actual NHL roster not even playing together with a new coach that could be difficult. And I think I, I, I don't, I don't think that the flames are a horrible team, but I think a lot can go wrong quickly for them. Right. Like your defense, you talked about Zadorov. Like to me, when you guys signed him to that, you know, 3.75 per, you know, a year deal, or was it two years, three years, whatever it was. I couldn't believe he did that because he didn't, I don't know. I don't, I just don't think he's there for that, that price. I think he could have done better for what you paid him. And you said it, he's a Sutter guy. Sutter's not there anymore. And if Tanev, he doesn't stay healthy. You got Hannafin and Wishwashy. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? You know, is that going to be a distract? There's, there's still those distractions with the guys who haven't signed Lindholm, Hannafin. And, and I think speaking from experience, when you had, Bo Horvat in his final season. And it was a, is he, is he not? What's going to happen? Like it just, it takes a lot out of the entire locker room because guess what? Walker Dewar, he's being asked about Elias Lindholm and, and Noah Hannafin. Um, Sarah Govich or Sarah Govich, whatever how you say his name, you know, he's coming into it. Is he going to be like the, the media types are always the ones that are going to be going out and asking those questions because that's what's going to get clicks on their stories. And when your entire lineup is busy talking about guys who are or not going to be there next year, it's tough. It takes a toll. Um, I don't disagree with that at all. And and, and yeah, if you're goaltending, yeah, like Jacob Markstrom was a Vesna candidate the year before and looked like he was the Vesna bag boy last year at times, you know, I, I loved how, playing the Canucks the other night and they he lets in the first shot of the first shot of the game yet again and <laughs> Flames X was up in arms about how it's the same old, same old and are ready to claim David Riddich off of waivers from the Kings already. So it's uh it's the same old when it comes to the Flames Twitter. They they are hating on Markstrom already. But it's I think you have to have a bounce back season from him. Paying him too much money and to, to you have to you have to, to not produce and, and again like you were two guys that no, you're on your team Tanev and Marstrom went from mine to yours and you know Tanev it sucked but I guess like you know as a Canucks they didn't want to pay him that type of money he earned it but they kind of they knew what he was and I still take Tanev at a lesser deal but Markstrom, it was one of the same old things. Like, you know, you had Demko, the younger guy. Markstrom's 33. Demko's 25, 26. Like, you had to make a choice. And I don't think either team made the wrong choice in who they picked up or kept. So, what are your thoughts on this Flames team? Who's going to be the standout guy? Is it, or Do you think there's a standout player that's going to have a comeback season? And do you think anyone on this team is going to have an act a, a regression? under a new coach. If 
somebody who I think is going to kind of have, uh, and I'm going to call it a redemption season. I think I was going to use that term off the start. I think this very much is a season of redemption for the Calgary Flames and kind of a season of unfinished business because they felt like they were supposed to be a really good team last year. They weren't. So, that you know, I like that you brought up that question of who might redeem themselves. I have to start with Jonathan Huberto. Like that, the circumstances around him getting traded to Calgary were not good for Jonathan Huberto. The once he got to Calgary, the circumstances were not good. He clashed with the coach. The coach played him on the right wing for 40 games. He's never played right wing in his life, and he produced at a, like a fourth line clip. Well, that's not going to happen again this year. He was Jonathan too busy Huberto taking a shit. Not get a, yeah, well, exactly. He, you know, he had Sutter, you know saying crazy stuff in post-game. You know, you get Sutter ripping on freaking Jacob Pelche. That shit's gone. Like, that takes a toll on your team. Jonathan Huberto, honestly, his attitude, even since he's come back, you can hear it in his interviews. You can see it. He's re-energized. He's, it seems more passionate. I think he's got that love for the game back. So I got to believe Jonathan Huberto is going to have a redemption season. Now, a redemption season to me is 80 to 90 points. I'm not expecting him to get 115 points. I'd love if he got 100. The skill's there to get 100. I just don't know that he has the talent around him to get that many points. You know, my biggest question mark around the Flames is who's going to score all the goals? You know, there's going to be a lot of scoring by committee required. I do think they're better equipped this year. They've, you know, they've got guys like Matthew Coronado, who looks like he's a he's a, a rookie, but an actual sniper. He probably should get somewhere in the 15 to 20 goal range. You know, if Jacob Pelche can get back for even half a season, he should offer a little more um than scoring. Walker Dewar is gonna offer you more scoring than you got out of Trevor Lewis and Milan Lucic. Adam Ruzicka should offer you more scoring than you got. I think. I think there's more firepower, but there's no elite firepower, and that worries me. There's no Elias Pedersen. There's no Leon Dreisaitl. That worries me about this team. So as far as – but redemption, I, I got to believe – I got to go to the two major acquisitions from last year, Kadri and Huberto, and say it can't get any worse than it did last year, and you should just see natural progression. As far as regression – Nikita Zadorov is right near the top of that list. You know, he, I think, scored 14 goals last year. Yeah, I don't see that happening again. Uh, I he He's kind of all over the ice. Is he, can he play structured enough not under Daryl? I'm a little worried. Um, a little bit worried about Michael Backlund just because he is a bit older. That, like, Michael Backlund had a career year last year, so... The numbers say he's probably you know, not going to be as good. But that being said, Michael Backlund is still a really good player. So I, I'm not worried, but I do expect his numbers will come back a bit. A little bit worried about Dylan Dubé. You know, he's has he peaked? Was last year as good as it was? Is he a 40-point player max? That's possible. I think he's got the skill to be a 50-60 point guy, but I'm not convinced he's ever going to get there. So a little bit worried about, have we seen peak Dylan Dubé? Also a little bit worried, 
have we seen peak Andrew Maggiapani? You know, those are those are worrisome things for me. I think Maggiapani will have a better year strictly because he's not going to be playing with a bum shoulder and he might actually be able to shoot the puck. But I've still I've never been the biggest Maggiapani fan. Like even the year he put up 35 goals. Well, he put up 21 of those goals in like the first 40 games. Oh, he couldn't score last and put up like 10. Yeah, he couldn't score at home. And he put up 10 in like the last 50 games. And it was like, I, I think we had already seen a little bit of the him tail off a bit. And I'm just worried that that is what he is. And he's actually a 15 to 20 goal guy and not a 30 to 35 goal guy. concerns me somewhat about your lineup is you talked about the youth movement and I think I kind of you know for Coronado 15 to 20 for a 20 year old in his rookie season I think that's a bit of a lofty one um I do too I I think your roster for the first time has youth in it and, and a, quite a bit of it, you know, um, Rzichka's 24. You just picked up Greer, who's, you know, I mean, he's 26, but he's got some experience in the NHL. Walker Dewar's 25. Coronado's 20. Um, Sharon Govich is 25. You know, you said Pelche as well. The big thing with your guys that were playing prospects now on the NHL roster, they don't have a lot of games. Their sample size is small. So sure, they had, call it the, the Davis Schneider um, bump. He came up and had a hell of a beginning to his MLB career and then went over 3,900 for the next 10 games. Like he could, you got a lot of youth in there now that you got to hope is actually going to produce. Because if they don't, you already said it, your team is not deep. What are you going to do if those, if Walker Dewar, Adam Rzichka, Coronado, Pelche, when he's back, if they don't produce, you don't have Daryl to blame anymore. That built-in excuse of your young guys not producing or getting a chance is out the window because the window is open for them. And if they don't do it, like like I said, like we talked about Bedard and you know the difference between the competition in the CHL to the NHL, well, the competition in the AHL to the NHL is not as big, but it's just as big of a jump for some guys. And, you know, there's a reason Matthew Phillips played a lot of games with the Wranglers and uh, Stockton and didn't get a sniff in the NHL. It might have been Daryl. I doubt it, but maybe he was on to something. Maybe he realized, like, yeah, sure, you can light it up down there, but that doesn't mean you're going to light it up in the NHL. I, To me, that is a big question mark around the flames is what is your youth going to do? Cause they're going to get more minutes. There's going to be more pressure on them. And do they hold up or do they fold like a, like a cheap lawn chair, right? It's going to be a big question for the team. I 100% agree with you. The I'm excited to see some of the youth on my team. I'm scared shitless at the same time because you don't know what you're going to get. It may be phenomenal. Matthew Coronado might be the second coming of Jerome McGinley. He very well might be. We don't know. But he could easily be an absolute bust. 
and score 10 goals a year. We don't know. Like that's, that's the whole thing with youth is it's exciting, but there's this unknown that is just very scary. And when you got a lot of it in your lineup, it's, they all have to hit, they all have to pop for you to be successful. Now, a lot of the youth is lower down in the lineup, so I'm not as worried about a, let's say, a Walker Dewar playing fourth line, you know, right wing, and him potentially not popping. I actually think he's a significant upgrade over Lewis and Lucic. We saw it last year. He, he already is. But there's that unknown. And I already mentioned it. You mentioned it. Outside of our team on paper, any injuries, we're in trouble. We are in significant trouble. And uh, I got to hope they stay healthy or else it's not good because, you know, this this team lacks elite firepower. They can't score their way out of trouble. They can hopefully goaltend and play defense out of their way out of trouble, but they, they're not going to be able to score their way out of trouble. And, you know, if they start missing some of their good players, it's going to be a long season. I mean – by no means am I saying Lucic and Lewis are good players. But when you talk about what they brought to the table versus the youth movement, they had hockey smarts. They at least knew yep. how to compensate for their diminishing skills in other ways, right? Like, and I think putting your, like, even Razichka and say Dewar on the fourth line, well, that's a pretty young fourth line with a lot that's very inexperienced and you lose that veteran smarts, I think. And not saying that they should have been kept, but when you rely on that youth sometimes in, in certain spots, it's good to be able to sprinkle it in. But when you got an entire, you know, half your bottom six is built around youth, you could have some issues. So 100%. what is your realistic you, you know, we talked about the ceiling and for the Canucks or, you know, the optimist, optimistic high, the, the reality of it. And then the, uh, oh shit, the bottom fell out. Well, I think there's a bigger gap in between the ceiling of the flames as compared, compared to the ceiling of the Canucks. But I also think the bottom is very similar to what the Canucks could be. If everything goes well, Huberto becomes Huberto again. Kadri can score 30 goals. Markstrom can get back to a you know 9-10 save percentage and host a handful of shutouts. If that happens, the Flames can contend to win the division. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But probably not. I, you're shaking your head and I'm not disagreeing with you. I do think the overall t- talent is there if everything goes properly. And they have a good decor. They potentially have a, a Vezina caliber goaltender. They've got, you know, Jonathan Huberto could be a 90, 100 point guy. You got to get Elias Lindholm back to being a, a 30, 40 goal scorer. You know, Sharon, Sharon Golovich is going to have to score 20 to 30 goals. This has happened before with these players. The thing is, if, if they can all kind of put it back together, they can challenge at the top of the division. If all the distractions, you know, all the guys on pending free agency, you know, Lindholm, Hannafin, Tanev, 
if that becomes a distraction, if they take a while to figure out the new coach's system, if Markstrom doesn't rebound, the Flames are right where the Canucks are. They're battling for 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th in the division. You know, possibly as low as 6th in the Pacific division, most likely somewhere in the 4th in the wildcard range. They're, they're battling for a final playoff spot. I think I don't feel like I'm off base saying the Flames could be a really good team. They have been a really good team in two of the last four seasons. I don't feel like I'm off base. They've got this cloud gone, but there's a lot of question marks around this team, and there's a lot of uncertainty around this team. If they buy into that mentality of, of redemption, you know, if they buy into the we're going to do it for Chris Snow and they all rally around that. They all rebound. This team can be very good. I honestly believe this team can be very good. I'm not convinced they're going to be very good. I think they can be very good. There's just so much uncertainty with what the roster is going to look like one year from now that that could cast a shadow over the team. Other reasons why I'm optimistic, you know, the Flames missed the playoffs by two points last year. They lost 30 games by one goal. Well, if you win 10 of those 30 games, they're battling for first in the division. They lost 17 overtime games last year. Well, if you win seven of those, you're top three in the division. Like it, There was a lot of things where the Flames were almost there last year that I think are, are correctable. So I do believe that the ceiling's higher than the Canucks, but the floor is exactly the same as the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I think I think that I think there's a couple teams like I think Edmonton and Vegas are they are unfortunately it really pains me to say about Edmonton, but they are that much better than the Flames. I think it's tough for them to knock one of those two teams out. I think um, I I kind of see them in a very similar situation, like you say, the bottom end with the Canucks. Yeah, like it's the same. They they'd be fighting for sixth if everything goes wrong. Um, I, I kind of put them in that, you know, if it goes right, they could be in that second or third in the division. But they're they're kind of, to me, realistically, I think because there's so many questions, there's so many if this player rebounds, if this player rebounds, if this doesn't cause a distraction, then they're going to be a middle-of-the-road team. They might make the playoffs, but it, it's not going to be, you know, set in stone by American Thanksgiving or anything like that. It's going to be, it's going to be a rough ride for them because I think they're not getting a new coach bump in the season. They're, they're getting it in the off season where, you know, are the guys going to come in a little too cocky because they got Daryl fired and, you know, do they think they got the run of the roost and they, they call the shots. Yeah, it's tough. Like the Rangers and Flames are in a position where the Flames, the, the players spoke up, got the coach fired. Well, now you got to produce. And, and, you know, you talk about the cloud going away, you know, kind of said something similar when Geo was traded or got picked up in the expansion draft because, you know, he had kind of been the common denominator and, there's something wrong in the locker room. Okay, well, now it's 
chucking Goudreau's contract things. That was, is he going to sign? Is he not? 11th hour backs out, right? Like there, there's, there seems to always be something, you know, we always talk about there's something in the water in Edmonton when, when how bad they were, were doing, but did the pipes leak into the Calgary water system? Cause it always seems to be something going on that needs to get removed for the flames to take that next step. And that next step keeps getting bigger and bigger for them. So it, it'll be interesting. They, they've got a team that can play, but I think you are playing with fire. You're, I don't want to say in a win now situation, but with the fact you got two guys on defense and under contract next year, you got to figure it out and get it done because you might go from a team that could contend and for the playoffs to a team that is fighting with San Jose and Anaheim for seven and eight, and six going forward. Here's what I'm going to say about the Calgary Flames kind of to sum up. They are going to be one of the most fascinating teams this season. Either they're going to be a great team and everybody's going to be like, look at the Calgary Flames. Or what if they got off to a 5-15 and 15 start and nobody wants to resign? It's going to be, when are the Calgary Flames going to trade everybody? Like, to me, this team is going to be just a fascinating season because if it goes poorly for one reason, everybody's going to be like, blow it up and, and get rid of it. But there is that outside chance that it might actually go swimmingly and it'll be the 2021-22 Flames where everybody's like, look at these guys. Like, I, I just, this year, they are going to be one of the teams to watch in the NHL this year for both positive or negative reasons. I just, either way, that it, that that kind of cloud of uncertainty, not so much cloud, just the uncertainty around all the UFAs will be a storyline the whole year. Either, hey, we got off to a rip-roaring start, they all want to resign, well, look at the Calgary Flint, or trade them all. Like, it's... It's going to be fascinating this year. The, the only bit of certainty certainty around the Flames is that Eric Francis has seventy five articles ready to go and hit you know publish on on Elias Lindholm leaving Calgary. I think uh, that's the only piece of certainty we have is Francis uh, driving the bus to get Lindholm out of town. <laughs> well, there you have it. That is our, our, our Calgary Flames and Vancouver Canucks breakdown for the season. Flames fans, Canuck fans, are we are we out to lunch? Reach out to us on X, on Twitter. I'm at TheBleacherCon1. Ken is at TheBleacherCon2 on Facebook or Meta or what do we want to call it? <laughs> the Bleacher <laughs> Connection. I'm not on threads. Maybe at some point we, we will be, but you know we'd love to hear from you guys. Like I think the, the the Flames and Canucks just parallel each other so much with the teams that they have that it's going to be just fascinating. It just I think the two are going to be in a dogfight all year with each other for you know playoff jockeying and, and, or you know who's in sixth place jockeying in the Pacific Division. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's going to be interesting. I always love when uh, hockey season comes around because it it adds to things to talk about. Because I know you don't want to talk much CFL right now, and you know. I'm looking, I got a, at least a home playoff date coming up for the BC Lions and uh, pretty safe to say, Trevor, we will at some point uh, 
discuss the Blue Jays and what happened there because it, uh, you want to talk professional shit show. That's what you can call the Toronto Blue Jays uh, postseason front office, end of seat year presser, whatever you want to call it. It was ugly as hell. Um, but yeah, that's I'm uh, still in a, I'm in a cooling off period with the Blue Jays still. We we could talk yeah. about that on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure to check out Belly Up Sports, bellyupsports.com. Go check out all the articles. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, check them out on Facebook, Meta, whatever we're calling things these days. Um, that's our show for this week. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back talking sports, wrestling, and everything else very shortly. Thanks, everyone, and go Flames, go. Go Canucks.